You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Welcome back. Thank you for being here with me. Whether you're here with me live, whether you were here with me in spirit, listening to the Bruce exclusive when it drops, obviously the first day, which is Friday, May 21st, because you're super fans and that's what you do. But I'm very excited about tonight's episode. I was excited about it when I initially came up with the concept and I was even more excited about it when I found out that I was going to be able to get my preferred guest for this conversation. So what we are going to talk about today is we are going to talk about the algorithm of worry. Something you have heard me said on this podcast multiple times in the past is you've heard me say how much you should worry about something is the probability of it happening multiplied by the impact of it occurring. We are going to apply this to the bills for the 2021 season and any potential pitfalls that may keep the team from a Super Bowl run. We are going to classify each one of my topics as far as the probability of it happening, highly improbable, somewhat improbable, somewhat probable, or highly probable. And then if it did happen, what would be the impact? Highly problematic, highly unproblematic, somewhat unproblematic, or somewhat problematic. Now, you may have heard these terms before because you're used to hearing me respond to almighty takes with them. It's kind of a trend. It's what we do. And there was one person that I wanted to have this discussion with. And if I couldn't get this guest, then I wasn't going to have the conversation at all. And the reason why I wanted to have this particular person is because when pitfalls occur, the first people to hear about it in a live setting are radio hosts. They're the people who are forced to do the post-game show and listen to the callers immediately say, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. We should, we should trade for this person. We should cut this person. The first person to hear it, the people who are most connected to the pitfalls are radio hosts. And I'm very blessed that a friend of mine, WGR 550's Nate Geary, has elected to be on this show with me. Nate, thank you so much for being a part of this. It is my absolute pleasure, first and foremost. This is definitely new for me because every time you and I have created content together, 
I'm in the interviewer chair. I am the Chris Wallace, so to speak. And you are the inmate and, you know, you get questioned and you, you know, give your answers and I nod along and agree and tell you how smart and handsome you are. And, you know, that's the end of the segment. And now the roles are reversed. So I'm really looking forward to being complimented heavily by you during this segment. Nate, if it makes you feel better, you can still say that I'm smart and handsome. That, that's not off the table. That's still a possibility if you would like to utilize that strategy. It's very, very effective. My wife tells me all the time how smart and handsome it is, and it's worked out very well for her. Well, I, I can tell it also works out very well for you. You get a lot of great-looking desserts and uh, and foods, much like you know we, we you and I, we've – We've had this conversation before. We both have outkicked the coverage, sir, and uh, we uh, our our guts thank us. You know that that's for sure. That our guts they thank how uh, how handsome we are because we are fed very handsomely. Absolutely, it's a good thing I'm handsome because I'm probably yes. going to gain a lot of weight over the next couple. Of that years. is right. At least we'll have our faces. You know, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I have broken down some commonly timed narratives, things sure. that have a tendency to pop up. At this time of year, things that are front of mind for Bills fans, because as good of a general manager as Brandon Bean is, there isn't a team in the world that comes into the season with no question marks. That's not a thing. Every single content creator in the world would cry if there could be no episodes and no articles that are the biggest questions facing this year's version of the team or what needs do the Bills still have or things like that? So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some things that are popularly mocked to the Buffalo Bills as being needs or popularly discussed as being concerns. And you are going to give me two pieces of information. You are going to tell me, number one, what do you think the probability of this thing happening, occurring is? The second thing you're going to tell me is if it did occur, how problematic is it? Are you ready, Nate? I'm, I've actually been born ready for this segment. As you, as you so uh, graciously introduced me as uh, the post-game show host, but the late post-game show host, which is actually, you know, it's, it's like, you know, post-game after dark. I really mm. get a lot of people's, uh, you know, they, they usually at that point have had about an hour hour 45 to really digest the thing. So Mike and Chris, you know, show up in Bulldog, the, the show before me, they tend to get the real, you know, unmitigated disasters that are very angry or very euphoric and don't have a lot of nuance to what they're saying other than this was the greatest in the world or this is the worst thing ever. Whereas me, I usually get a well more thought out uh, thought process, something like they should move Josh Allen to wide receiver, things like that, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> Do you think it has something to do with the alcohol consumption time difference? I have noticed a pretty significant difference between home post-game shows and away post-game shows. And mm. I would say the uh, to begin that equation, I would say it's highly probable that alcohol plays a factor. Okay. Well, given the fact that as far as I know, you and I are not inebriated, let's see if no, we, we are can not. do a yes. good job having this discussion, and let's kick it off with my personal favorite topic, and anyone who's followed this show would know that, and that's CB2. I'm going to make a statement, and I'm going to make, kind of feel you out on this particular statement. Okay. The CB2 lack of dynamic athleticism allows the Bills to not have 
the complicated coverages necessary to be able to thwart dynamic passing attacks, and it hinders the Buffalo Bills' ability to beat top-end quarterbacks and wide receiver cores. What do you think the probabilities of that happening? And if it did happen, how significant do you think is the impact? So if uh, so, you're you're asking me what's the probability of CB two basically holding them back, right? Yeah. Like you're 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 okay. Um, I would say generally, I don't want to say it's highly probable, but I think it is probable, um, somewhat probable. So then uh, would be my answer there, and I would say the impact. It's interesting this dynamic because I often think the best part about the Bills defense is their simplicity and coverage, but their ability to disguise it pre-snap. So I wonder if the impact isn't that dynamic, if this is not impactful. And the reason I say that is because they're one, they're going to run cover four and a lot of quarters looks and Tampa two looks and two high safety looks because that is what Sean McDermott has done over the course of his career. Those are the coverages that he and Leslie Frazier have sort of indoctrinated their entire defense around, especially those quarters looks. Now, if you can pre-snap, you know, it, listen, at the end of the day, if the quarterback knows you're going to be in a too high safety look almost regardless, um, you know, maybe you become a little predictable there. But I don't think the athleticism of the cornerback is going to you know, potentially have an impact on what coverages they play outside of the fact that they just don't really have the, the tools to run man coverage. Um, but I'll, the, it's, that's a really interesting way to start, Bruce, by the way, because um, I think it's an interesting way to ask me a question about a position that is really kind of talked about in one way. And I don't think we've really talked about how athleticism or lack thereof might affect how they disguise coverages. But I just, you know, you don't see this defense, you know, starting in a too high safety look and going down into, you know, a lot of cover three looks. Um, mm -hmm. You see way more. We're going to start with one safety deep, whether that's in most cases, it's Micah Hyde in that deep third. And you've got Jordan Poyer in the box. And last second, he bows out and he runs back into the quarter, the, that deep quarters look. That That is something that is highly probable that you'll see during games. And even if they had... Asante Samuel Jr. at cornerback two, and we all felt really good about the athleticism of cornerback two. Is that going to change Sean McDermott's mindset about running more man coverage? I'm not sure. I, as much as all of us would love to see this team have the personnel so they could, I don't know that with the personnel they would. So it's a very interesting conversation because I don't know I have a true you know, impact value other than to say – maybe or closer to less impactful um and it's like i said i think it's mostly because they do their damage in disguising coverages pre-snap and not post-snap sure the safety rotation is a big part of what they do that's, yeah. and that's one yeah. of the reasons why they've continued to to invest in the position and make sure that they're re-signing micah hyde and re-signing jordan boyer that is their that is their coverage disguise right the coverage disguise is too uh, too high or single high so if I say, it, would it be fair for me to put this as it's somewhat probable to happen, but it's somewhat unproblematic if it does? That's, I think, the way that you have to uh, – yes, I, I would agree that that is exactly how you have to look at it based on the importance of athleticism 
in their ability to disguise that coverage, if that makes sense. I just don't think that and, – and frankly, do we really have a good idea or concept of just how athletic Dane Jackson is? I feel like we have – you know, I think we have combine numbers. We have underlying athletic scores. But I don't think we have a full sample size of – because as you know, in the quarterback position – it's not always about the best athletes at that position. A lot of times it's really just about instincts. So we'll see, but I, I would say I would agree that it's, it's rather unproblematic and, you know, mid level in terms of uh, the first option. Okay. So moving to the next thing, the next thing is something that I don't think we talk about really uh, basically enough in Bills Mafia. We talk about CB2 a lot. I talk about CB2 a lot. I've been talking about CB2 a lot for, uh, I don't know, three years now. I've been talking about CB2 and I'll continue to talking about it. And Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean will continue to slap me in the face <laughs> and say, no, no, you are not entitled to any significant athletes at CB2. But the one thing that we don't talk about in a position group that I have openly said, I think is the worst position group on this team. And it's one tech defensive tackle. If Star Latulule comes back and becomes a reasonable defensive tackle at one tech again, which is what he was reasonable. He's a reasonable one tech. If he does that, that gives you one because I don't think we can make an argument that Vernon Butler is a reasonable starting one technique in this league. I don't think we make an argument. Harrison Phillips is yeah. a reasonable starting one technique in this league, which means you are hoping for one player who can play the position at a reasonable letter level one. And you're hoping at that, you're not guaranteed it. You are hoping you got one. And so to me, that's the weakest position group on this team. So I'm going to, again, make a statement. You're going to tell me, hey, what do you think the probability is of that happening? And what do you think the impact of that is happening? And that's this. The one-tech defensive tackle position is not able to consistently get reasonable to above-average play, leading to Tremaine Edmonds not being able to take the step that we hope to see from him because he's always got linebackers in his face and the run defense does not take a step forward in 2021. It's another good one. Um, and I like the defensive theme to start. I don't think there's a lot of questions on the other side. And I think this is the side of the ball that, that easily has some, some of the storylines that you're going to see contenters, uh, content creators write and talk about. The one technique is probably, to me, the more important, and I think very clearly the more important to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott than CB2, just based on how they've addressed both units, you know, between defensive back and and, and defensive line. Um, obviously, we see them go to defensive ends, but one technique has been a really interesting dynamic because just like corner two, I thought this was a draft that made a lot of sense to go after a, a one technique. Um, I would tell you that, the relationship between Tremaine Edmonds development and, you know, the success of the one technique position, I think they are very intertwined and how they're intertwined, I think is, is a more nuanced conversation than maybe even will end up having here. Cause I do think there's a lot of, there's just a domino effect of both ways. And I think that's kind of why this is a, a really good way to phrase this, but I'll say it's, I'll say it's probable that they don't really get starting caliber play at the one technique position a year off a year older. Uh, maybe it's just, I've always sort of been low on Star Tulale and maybe to a fault. And I think, 
for the most part, what he does does not really get that stat sheet recognition that you want to see from a guy you're paying Star Latulale. Um, but I think after the year off, um, I'm skeptical that he comes back and is as good as he was. So if he's slightly worse or notably worse than he was when he left in 2019, I think you're going to struggle to find the kind of production at one technique, particularly in the run game, that is going to allow Tremaine Edmonds to be the best version of himself. Now, that doesn't mean in this case that I believe one technique failing or maybe not failing, but just not succeeding to the level that we want to see or that can maximize Tremaine Edmonds. It doesn't mean that Tremaine Edmonds can't take another step this year without that. And I think that's an important part or layer or nuance to the argument that doesn't necessarily get talked about as a 22 year old. Um, I think this could be in his year, in his year four year in his year 23 season that this could be a year he takes a really good step forward and still doesn't get that really solid level play from the one tech, meaning maybe you're able to get Tremaine Edmonds in a really good contract when he has to sign next year. And maybe he doesn't get top five money, but he gets top 15 money or top 12 money. And then in year five, when you really can solidify that one technique position, maybe that's when we see his ceiling. And I think, I think, we have to be a little bit more understanding of just how young and inexperienced in the game of football at the position Tremaine Edmonds is and how learning on the job early on in his career and being the leader that he is, I think there is still a lot of steps he can continue to take and layers that can be sort of peeled away from him. So I'm not going to say it's mutually exclusive this year, but if you told me that he just wasn't good, I would tell you it's it's going to be because of the one tech. So I know that's kind of a a middling answer again, but I think that the the scenario playing out that I was sort of describing there, where it's not a success at one tech, but he still takes at least a step that you can notice and acknowledge. I think that's equally as likely as it being the sole reason that he doesn't flourish into the player he could potentially be. So I will say that it's probable. They don't get the play that they need at the one technique position. And I would say it's problematic for the development of, of Tremaine Edmonds. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't veer into the highly problematic because I do think, as I mentioned there, that scenario where I think he can still be a better player than he was last year, even if he's not getting notably better play at one tech. Okay, so to recap, we have CB2. The concerns at CB2 are somewhat probable, but somewhat unproblematic. So if you take that and you take a three times a two, you get a six. So our worry algorithm comes up with six. But for one tech, we have somewhat probable and somewhat problematic, which you take three times three, you come up with nine. Moving along to the running back position. There was a big conversation around Travis Etienne specifically, mm. leading up to the draft. Brandon Bean openly said after the draft we weren't targeting a running back, but I thought it was very interesting. He said targeting. He didn't say he wasn't going to take one. In fact, he openly said there were people who I would have been okay taking, and then they just didn't show up at our pick. So they weren't going to go out of their way to target one, but that doesn't mean they weren't going to take one. So it doesn't mean that they said 100% under no circumstances are we adding to this room. 
That is clearly not what he believed. If there was one that he believed was going to be able to provide them with a dynamic they didn't have, then he was probably going to look at it. So here is my statement, and you can tell me how probable and how problematic it would be. The failure to invest in a dynamic, game-breaking running back this offseason keeps the offense from being as good as it could be in 2021, and the running game suffers as a result. I don't believe they needed to. And first of all, I love your narrative about targeting. I mean, the, the only time you actually target a position or a player, particularly a position, is when you're drafting a quarterback. Otherwise, especially at the top of drafts, you aren't targeting positions. You're, you're, you're targeting a player at a position because you believe he's an elite athlete, um, not because of the position that he plays a lot of times. Other than quarterback, and maybe you can, you can talk me into edge as being the other that, that those are positions that you target. Um, in this day and age, you're definitely I, – I, no one's really targeting running backs unless you're Bill Belichick because he really likes those guys. He likes, he likes having a lot of running backs in the stable. He's like, he's like the John Gruden of quarterback you know, collecting. <laughs> you know? He just likes to have random guys that he can play at any time. Um, but I would say – I'll steer clear from saying it's highly improbable, but I'll say it's somewhat improbable – that because they didn't get that game breaker, it will sort of be the reason that they don't take a step. I think you and I are in agreement that there is a way to, to, to help the running game along with the personnel they have. I also like the addition of Matt Breida. Now, game breaking is a relative term. Um, you can place game breaking on just about anything. Um, I would argue that Matt Breida has game-breaking type speed. Now, whether or not he has the skill as a player, as a runner, to see that potential to find the openings to get the holes necessary to sort of, you know, exploit that trait, then is he a dynamic, you know, game-breaker? No. But in the same sense, I think that there are aspects of both Singletary and Moss's game that we simply did not get because the scheme did not fit their running style or, or did not really maximize what each of them brought to the table. Now, I haven't had like a conversation with Brian Dable that gives me the insight that they're for sure going to be moving away from a lot of the zone looks that they were, the outside zone handoffs where you really need to be under center. And this is not an under center, you know, uh, team. This is not where that's not really where they want to operate from. So if you're playing in the shotgun, we need to see that plug and pull. We need to see, we need to see movement up front. We need to move away from zone um, and more into man looks. And and I think if that is the plan, that they probably don't need a game breaker, quote unquote, a Travis Etienne. But I think you need more from Devin Singletary in the pass catching game. I think he's been pretty underwhelming there. Um, and I think you need overall, I think you need better from Zach Moss in short yardage situations with how strong he's built. Uh, he was disappointing to me as their short yardage back. So if you add in Matt Breida to take in for TJ Yeldon, we'll see what he can kind of do in the past game. I'm not convinced they needed or should have been targeting that game breaking um, type back. Now, I would very much enjoy Travis Etienne in this offense. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, so I would say it's. 
it's unprobable, improbable, I should say. It's improbable, somewhat improbable that them not getting a game changer at running back um, holds their uh, running backs back, right? That, that That's the ultimate second part and whether or not that's problematic. I would say high, I would say imp- somewhat improbable and almost highly unproblematic. Okay. So we take it two times one, we come up with two. One of the things I think is interesting about this running back conversation is that I, like you, have wondered if they were going to go back to more man schemes up front. But the running back that they elected to bring in is historically best in zone, which is Matt Breida. Right. And I thought it was an odd fit when Breida went to Miami last year because Chan Gailey's offense is power man up front and then horizontal passing attack. So I always thought it was kind of weird as to why when Breida went to Miami, I was like, that's a strange fit because I know Chan Gailey's offense pretty well. It doesn't seem like he fits there. And then they bring in someone who has seen his best years in a zone system the same year that I thought they were going to go away from zone. So I'm like, I have no idea what they're going to do at this point, but they definitely haven't tipped their cap. And, 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 you know, short of hearing Brian Dable, you know, confirm it. I think we should just assume that that's the one logical way you can help your running backs is by, here's the thing too, that is part of this conversation too, Bruce is the offensive line and what they're successful at. And I think, both there's an argument to be made that both can be better. And if both are better due to simply scheme, that is the obvious, you know, differentiator here that we should point to, to say, if I'm Brian Dable and I'm looking at myself through a critical lens, I think the one thing I can come away with after watching hours and hours of film is saying I could have put both the offensive line and the running backs that we had in this roster in better positions schematically to succeed, it would it would ha- it would be really difficult. You would have to not be looking at yourself with any sort of critical lens for that not to be the. I think it's just a common conclusion, no? No, it is a common conclusion. It's almost isolating the variable because when you hear Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott at year-end press conferences saying we got to get more effective running the ball, and then they bring back almost the same offensive line and the same running back room, you're like, well, what else is there yes. aside from scheme? There's yep. there's only three options you have here: personnel up front, personnel in the backfield, and scheme. I mean, unless they're putting the running game, all of the running game issues on Josh Allen's run calls, which I'm pretty sure they're not doing then they got to be an adjustment somewhere, and it seems logical that it would be scheme. So moving along, we talked about three positions in general, just in general. These are the kind of positions that could potentially hold the Bills back. Now we're going to talk about three specific players who could potentially hold us back. So what Mm -hmm. I'm going to do is I'm going to say a statement about a player, and you're going to tell me what's the probability of that happening, and if it does happen, What's the impact? And this is the first one. Dawson Knox does not take the next step. I would say it's somewhat probable and highly problematic. Okay. So what makes you think that it's somewhat probable? What makes you think, you know what? I just don't believe it. I don't think it's going to take the next step. I don't think Dawson Knox is going to become that guy that we all think he can be. We all acknowledge the tools. But what is it specifically that makes you think he's not going to take the next step? 
I think it's the hands, and, and I think it's the and, – and, and it could just be a young set of the yips, right? Maybe maybe it's just the young set of the yips that he has. And, and what I mean by that is, especially early on in guys' careers, that, that's a guy that I could tell you, especially his rookie year, was when he struggled in training camp with some of those drops, it was a guy that was spending every day after practice at the jugs machine. And sometimes it doesn't matter how long you set to sit at the jugs machine to practice catching – when you get in those situations and he's looking upfield quickly or, you know, I, I think a lot of what Dawson Knox's issues are, are mental lapses um, or, or moments of bad decision-making um, or premature decision-making. And I think that to me is the biggest concern and maybe the biggest factor of why I, I labeled it as probable is it's not a physical or um, it, it's not a desire thing. It's not like the coaching staff, you know, can't get this guy to buy in. I, I don't think that's the problem at all. And I think if you could point to one of those things, you could find yourself saying, listen, if it's just they can't get him to buy in, you know, th- this is a program that he'd be out. You know, like you, you can't be a player in this, in, in this organization at the point that they're at and be a young player or a veteran player that that they, it isn't buying in. So like the thing that that I just kind of point to with Knox is the mental capacity. Is he a player that, you know, in in between the ears can get himself in positions and the concentrations he needs to be a pass catcher? Because everything after the catch screams elite level H back, a, a dynamic game player uh, or game changer. I'm sorry. But if he can't catch the ball, if he can't reel it in, it almost none of that stuff matters because you can't manufacture ways to get him the ball if you can't catch. So to me, that to me is the thing I think could puts him in the probable category. Um, and the reason I think it's it's problematic is I, I think they're really desperate for somebody over the middle of the field that can move the move that middle linebacker up. And what I mean by that is if you could get a player over the middle of the field like Dawson Knox at the tight end position to force that linebacker to stay in that hook to curl zone, even if it's half a second longer, that's going to give Stefan Diggs, that's going to give Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis and Emmanuel Sanders to get the extra yard, yard and a half in zone coverage that they need to make themselves available for Josh Allen's arm strength to really be sort of <clears throat> a next level tool, right? So in, in what I think that could ultimately mean is, is just that it could change this team's ability um, in passing downs to be dynamic over the middle of the field in the deep middle where we know they're really good at attacking. Now you could be even better if somebody had to be respected in the hook to curl area as a yards after catch guy where your middle linebacker better be coming downhill, ready to make a tackle on Dawson Knox, or he's going to house call you. And I, they don't have that. And I think it's going to force team. It's going to force Josh Allen to find a check down target that can sort of <clears throat> make that linebacker or make that safety or whoever's in the middle of the field. Think for an extra second, do I want to give this guy below underneath the coverage the ability to catch the ball and get going? Because I may not be able to bring him down. EB in the comment section says, uh, Knox had a 9.1% drop rate last year, only four drops. Now, I'm glad you brought up both sections of those because four drops doesn't sound like a lot until you realize it's 9.1%. To put that in perspective, Jerry Judy had an 8.8% drop percentage, and they're very concerned about his drops in Denver. So, 
eight to nine percent drop rate is, is is not good. Now the reason it's only four is because he didn't have a lot of targets last year because there was COVID in the middle of the year and things kind of messed him up in that regard. So he took a step back as far as targets go, and because of that, the the drop percentage did go down from nineteen to twenty. But nine point one still at a point where you would yeah. be concerned. You would be concerned about it. So we've established that Knox, in your opinion, is somewhat probable to not take the next step. And if he doesn't take the next step, that's highly problematic. Which means so far that's a score of twelve. Three times four is twelve. Which means so far the most significant thing that you are worried about is the tight end position. Do you think that's fair? I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, and I mean you could get me to saying. The you know that that the one tech is is that for me, but I I think tight end could really it just to me it, it there, there's a domino effect of what having an effective tight end, particularly the type of tight end that Knox is after the catch, the ability to to scare defenses, particularly middle linebackers, and I'm talking about the uber athletic ones, right? The Darius Leonard's who you're going to be basically. Think about the teams you're, you know, likely going to be going through here, and think about the athleticism that they have at linebacker. Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa now in 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 Cleveland, right? Whether I th- I think he probably plays linebacker there. He's going to be an uber athletic linebacker. Darius Leonard, you're going to be going through Indianapolis more than likely in your route to the second seed and potentially your route to the Super Bowl. And they've got one of the most athletic linebackers in the league. And if you can get him one second late on a read because he just has to he has to respect. Dawson Knox underneath. Think about the zone coverage behind him and what that extra second might do for a guy like Stephon Diggs or or Cole Beasley to get open and allow Josh Allen to hit him. And, and I just think it opens so much up for the wide receivers if this team has a yard after catch tight end like Dawson Knox. So that, that's why it's so problematic to me if he can't develop. Justin in the comments section says, best offense in franchise history without Knox taking a step forward. I agree it's a problem, but it's not problematic. Mike says, that's pretty interesting. I'm much more worried about one tech and CB2 than Knox. This is the reason I wanted to have this conversation. This right here. Because if you are able to break these two things down, all of a sudden you can almost quantify worry. And because of that, you can have clear communication with other people and go, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I had no idea that the number one thing so far, we're not done yet, so far on Nate's plate would be tight end. I had no idea. I assumed it was going to be one tech, and it might be something a little bit later, but we're going to see. All right, one more player. We touched on him a little bit earlier, but let's assume for a second that this statement is true. You tell me how probable is it happening and how problematic would it be if it happened. Tremaine Edmonds does not take the next step. I think it's somewhat improbable, and highly problematic if he doesn't right um i i i think he is a better player than about 90 percent of people want to give him credit for um and that's without the help that we've talked about earlier in the one technique discussion so it's problematic for me um if he doesn't you know take that step but I don't also don't think it's the end of the world for this team at linebacker because th- this is where this conversation gets interesting as a defender of Tremaine Edmonds. 
if you decide ultimately to pick up the fifth year option, which they did, and you're going to have an opportunity to get that fifth year before you make, you are in no rush for this extension for Tremaine Edmonds, by the way. So let the fifth year play out. And if he doesn't take the step this year, you've got Matt Milano. And it's a position that I think right now, especially in the, in the drafts we've been seeing, there are players into the, into day two that can walk in and step in and be very good linebackers. Fred Warner was a second round pick. He's one of the best linebackers in all of football. Um, Daryl Slender was picked after Tremaine Edmonds. So, you know, I, I, I think all with all of that said, um, his development would be huge for this defense's chances and per- particularly for this team's chances to win a Super Bowl. He's an important integral part of that defense because when he is at the top of his game and he's not injured, who cares about what this team can do against the run? They won 13 games or whatever, 12 games, and nobody cared that they were one of the worst run defenses in the league. Who cares? They won 12 games. So for me, like I, I, I think about it and I say – if he can be a lockdown linebacker, Fred Warner in the pass game, and match what Matt Milano brings in, uh, against the pass, they have a dynamic middle of the field that should be able to keep up with teams with these top tight ends. And we know, you know, New England's got two of them, um, and 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 we'll see how they sort of deploy those guys. But I think the linebacker position is as as important as it's been to this defense. I, I they don't. They don't have some kind of crazy amount of money invested in this guy where if it doesn't work out, it's some sort of significantly problematic, um, you know, issue for them that they won't be able to overcome because of salary cap ramifications. And and the last thing with Edmonds is just how young he is, the size and the athleticism. He has he's just everything that you'd want from a middle linebacker in today's NFL so with those tools and another year in this system, and I think better players up front, hopefully with Starla Tulele back, I like him. That's why I, I think it's improbable he doesn't take this step. Okay, so you said somewhat improbable he doesn't take the next step, but you said highly problematic if he doesn't. But then as you started talking, I started yeah. wondering if maybe you were kind of going back. Do you want to change that to somewhat problematic if he yeah, doesn't? I, I would say somewhat problematic. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I actually, I sold myself out of it. I thought maybe you might. You know, I want to make sure this is a very scientific process. Yeah, no, clearly. I mean, we it's, are. It's very we scientific. Are, we are quantifying human emotions, Nate. And this this is part of the human experience, or at least it's part of the Bruce experience. Is quantifying it's definitely human a emotions. part of the Bruce experience, 100%. <laughs> it's part of the Bruce exclusive. By the way, hey. by the way I, I saw somebody tweet at you that Yes Man was better than... Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good God. Man. Yeah. What, what is that person? Why woke up and chose violence? <laughs> yeah. And clearly got the block. Jeez. <laughs> Immediate block. You know, that guy wanted everyone, the block. He was asking for it. He was literally begging to be blocked. You know, people ask me all the time, hey, do you, do you love Bruce Almighty? I'm like, no, I don't love I mean, Bruce Almighty. Is a, a good movie. One of the things I like about Bruce Almighty is it makes you feel good. When you're done watching Bruce Almighty, you're like, I want to go like work at a soup kitchen. I want to go build uh, a homeless shelter. Like I want to go do something meaningful, you know, that's the whole be the miracle sort sure. of vibe about it. I, yes. It just makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's a good, fun movie. I enjoy it, but really it was just a, it was just a shtick because that's who I was on the Buffalo Bills message boards. And I brought it <laughs> over to Twitter. And when I brought it over to Twitter, I barely even touched my Twitter. And then I never touched it for like a decade. And then all of a sudden, 
I started doing a podcast. Like, well, I already have a Twitter. I guess I'll just do that. So here I am. But yes, I, Bruce Almighty is clearly better than Yes Man. That's 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 blasphemous to say that's otherwise. And I think correct. Blasphemous works because you know Bruce Almighty, the whole God thing. Anyway, moving along. So the final thing that I want to talk about is this. I'm going to make a statement. You're going to tell me probability of it happening, impact of it happening. Perfect. Ed Oliver doesn't take the next step. Um, I, I think this is going to be not a popular answer, but I think it's probable that he doesn't take his next step. And I think it's, I, I think it's somewhat unproblematic. Um, and, and here's why, um, I think for the most part, he'd been a player that I think a lot of people maybe overhyped in a lot of ways. I mean, anytime you're comparing a player that's never played an NFL down to Aaron Donald, you are overhyping. So that's not a hot take. He was overhyped. Let's be real. Um, I still think he can be a really serviceable at who he is right now, I think is a middle of the road starting you know, three technique and a four, three defense. And there is nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But I also think you can find a lot of players to fill that role, which is why it's not overly problematic to me if he doesn't take that step. Right. I just think based on who he has been for the last, you know, I would say, especially last year, I was disappointed. I thought we would see more. And I also want to give him an opportunity to actually play three tech. And, and have starred next to him an entire season with what he knows. I've just, he was forced to play in a lot of one technique positions like he was in college. Like we, like it was said he wouldn't have to do in the NFL here in Buffalo and Sean McDermott's defense. So although I, I think it's probable he doesn't take a step, I still think that there is, you know, I, I don't think it's highly probable um, you know, I think there is room in there for him to get better, but how much better is Ed Oliver getting? And what does a step even look like for Ed Oliver? Because I just, he has sort of been the exact same player from the first snap of his career until his most recent one. You know, like I haven't really seen that notable shift in dominance, but I think he's a really serviceable three tech. That's a solid rotational player. He's just never going to be a guy that's getting, you know, 80 million, 90 million in a, in a contract. And again, I think that's okay because I think you can find a guy or draft another guy and, and get similar production. Um, and that's kind of my, my overall thoughts on Oliver. And I, I don't know if that's a popular thought on Oliver and I don't really know. It's weird how highly he was picked, how little he really gets talked about and how highly a guy like Tremaine Edmonds gets talked about. Right. And obviously linebacker is a more, noticeable position and I, I would say the general football fan knows can diagnose more what their middle linebacker is supposed to do compared to what a three technique defensive tackle is supposed to do and technique and scheme related to all that conversation right so maybe it's 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 maybe it's out of ignorance that Ed Oliver isn't talked about in the same light as like a Tremaine Edmonds but man I, I mean I again I haven't been disappointed because it's okay to just be average and i think that's what he's been i think the ignorance point is interesting because it's so more so much more visible for tremaine emmons i also think part of it might be assumptiveness i think that there is an assumptiveness with ed oliver that he's going to take the next step in year three specifically because it's so easy for us to go well we understand why we didn't see a big step from him year two it's such an obvious answer he's playing out of position most of the year Yep. It necessitated that he does that. Now, I'm hopeful 
that you can get reasonable one technique play. One of the reasons why I wanted the Bills to invest in a one tech defensive tackle this offseason was to see to it that we weren't having this same conversation next offseason and saying, well, it's been two years since Ed Oliver has had reasonable one technique play next to him. So I'm hoping that's not a conversation that we have. But let me ask you, are you concerned that the best version of Sean McDermott's defense had KK short as a dominant three technique and that you don't get the best pass rushing specifically version of Sean McDermott's defense without it? Yeah, and and I wonder, you know, does this defense fit the style of Ed Oliver? And I've wondered that for a while because he's an undersized three-tech, and he's the kind of guy, though undersized, has incredible strength. But his he was touted as a pass rusher, right? Like, And I think that's why there's this level – and I don't want to use the word disappointing because, I, again, I'm not disappointed in what Ed Oliver has been and if this is what he is. I It's not disappointing. Um, it's not disappointing to be average, but at the ninth overall pick or wherever he was picked, you know, like you want to see elite level there. You want to see a guy, um, that is, you know, I don't know, name Chris Jones, right? You want to see a guy that is a game breaker. And I just wonder if in Sean McDermott's defense, short of, right, Quan Short, like uh, short of him, who at the three technique position has really been a, a sort of, you know, pass rushing dominator, dominator. You just, it hasn't really been a thing for Sean McDermott in those defenses. And a lot of times he wins with the Greg Hardys of the world. Then he wins with, you know, these defensive, these large size, you know, oh, I've listened. You know about, <laughs> you know about the, you know, whatever Brandon Bean likes in these defensive ends. It's not our flavor, but it's his flavor. And, and they've yeah. had success. They've had success in Sean McDermott's defense. So for us, who, whom's flavor we don't really like. Um, it's not really our place to question it, right? But at the same time, with that Oliver, you just you 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 knew he was walking off the boat as a in, as an elite interior pass rusher, and he's really been anything short of it. Just pr- pretty much everything but that elite pass rusher. And can I ask you this question, Bruce? Sure. More likely that in passing situations, Ed Oliver bumps down to the one technique while Greg Rousseau goes to the three-tech, or he comes off the field entirely? More likely Ed Oliver bumps down okay. to one tech. I, I would agree with you. And then we're, again, having the same conversation, aren't we? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's tough, right? Because you want you want the strength of your player, which is pass rushing from the three technique. You want to give him situations like that. But mm-hmm. we just drafted a player who your intention is going to be taking three technique reps in third down situations away from Ed Oliver. So, you know, I, I, it's we may never fully appreciate Ed Oliver's ability to rush from the three tech position while he's here in Buffalo based on how they've got this defense built. I hope that one of the things that we do end up appreciating is Aaron Donald. And I think that as the longer this goes along, the more, the more ridiculous <laughs> it is that yes. we compare every single undersized defensive tackle to Aaron Donald, who there's a very reasonable chance that when he's done, he'll be considered one of the best defensive players to ever play the game. Yeah. So I think we need to stop doing that. I, I, I compared Ed Oliver. I said if he hits a ceiling, he's Geno Atkins when he comes out. And I think that was completely fair if he hits a ceiling. Yeah. So let's recap, shall we? What we're going to do is we're going to take it from the top down bottom. The most concerning thing to Nate Geary 
WGR 550 host of the late night postgame show, the evening postgame show, is Dawson Knox in the tight end position with a score of 12. In second place, it's the one-tech defensive tackle position with a score of nine. Tied for third place, it's CB2, Tremaine Edmonds not taking a step forward, and Ed Oliver not taking a step forward. And bringing up the rear, the least concerning thing to you of all the things we've talked about is the running back position. So let me ask you, Nate, how did my algorithm do? I feel pretty good. I feel like I, I feel like the numbers seem to bear out the truth there. And um, I don't know that I'm, I might have gotten to the conclusion that in so set in stone of which the, what the hierarchy is without this algorithm. See, everything can be quantified, even That's human emotions. That's exactly right. That is it's exactly all ones and right, zeros dude. to me. I don't even know any better. I'm just looking into the matrix. You're just a computer. That's right. You're just the, you're, just, you are just the matrix. I'm just the computer. Nate, thank you so much My for pleasure, being a part man. of this. I, I appreciate so much you taking time out. I know you've been really busy this week. We had to reschedule this. You taking time out of your day to come on this podcast and to have this discussion with me, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Make sure to tell everybody where they can find you, what kind of work you're up to, and what you got going on. Yes, well, as a uh, frequent listener of uh, of this podcast, uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, that you you made some time to bring me on. I'd be happy to do it uh, at your leisure, my friend. So uh, you can find me at Nate Geary, uh, Nate Geary Sports on Twitter. Um, and uh, you know, I, I have my uh, my normal Saturday show, which uh, which Bruce is basically a uh, an every other week uh, regular on. Um, and that's uh, from 11 to 2 on WGR and, of course, on the Odyssey app. So uh, once again, Bruce, thank you so much, my friend, Sensei, for bringing me on. Really appreciate it. This was a fun podcast. And like I said, you know, invite me on anytime. I'm a, I'm, I, I'll, I will make availability for you, my friend. I appreciate it, Nate. And to all those who are listening, I guess when you start to try and quantify this to your significant other or spouse or friend or parent or child and you say you know what let's break out a spreadsheet and determine how much we should worry about this and they go what are you doing all you're gonna have to do is go well that's the way the cookie crumbles i'm bruce nolan buffalo rumblings